in brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power, oranges lust and blues you can trust, indigos feel and white ones heal, yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And I'm Dan Kurtzke. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 541. Alan Woo! Scott, the Green Lantern number two, right? It is. Well, take us, take it away, Dan. You, uh, you've got the reins here. I do. I do. S- sit down, get comfy, strap in. We're going for a ride, everybody. Uh, Alan Scott, the Green Lantern number two, written by Tim Sheridan with art by by uh, Kian Torme, colors by Matt Harris, and letters by Lucas Catoni. The title of this issue is Conversion. Thanks to Alan's reaction to Johnny's death, it was easy for his commanding officer to figure out the nature of their relationship. Normally, that would have got Alan thrown out of the army, but since he did single-handedly save the entire rest of the crew, Alan was given leave to go get medical attention to help him not be gay anymore. Alan checks himself into the deviancy wing of Arkham Asylum and befriends a fellow patient named Billy. Alan helps Billy through some dark times, and as thanks, she makes Alan a green train lantern in the asylum workshop. Since Alan checked himself into the asylum, he's free to check himself out whenever he wants, and Billy wishes Alan would go back to his life because there's nothing wrong with him. But Alan can't accept that. He was already struggling to come to terms with being gay, but... The trauma of watching Johnny die has made Alan wish he could just erase this entire part of himself. Alan storms off and doesn't see Billy again for over a week. The next time they meet, Billy isn't the same. The staff at Arkham leans heavily on the use of electroshock treatments, which we now today know can cause irreversible brain damage. They treated Billy until the part of her they didn't like seemed to be gone. Now all that's left is a docile and confused Mr. Billings who gets sent home to the same family that had him locked up and tortured in the first place. Alan is beside himself with grief and wants to check himself out of the asylum, but how could he abandon everyone else in the deviancy wing now that he knows the truth about the treatments? The choice gets made for him when... The asylum director reads Alan's journal and uses it as justification to suspend Alan's rights and have him officially committed, meaning that he can't leave until they decide to let him go. They promptly send Alan for a round of electroshock. The next night, Alan gathers all of his fellow patients and leads a breakout. They were aided by an orderly named Robert, who couldn't stand how badly the patients were being treated. Everyone escapes and skips town. Two years later, Alan had found success as the head of an up-and-coming engineering company, and the classic Golden Age origin of Alan Scott becoming Green Lantern plays out more or less the way you remember it, but we'll talk about that. Jump ahead to 1941. 
Green Lantern is trying to hunt down a killer loose in New York City, and everything about the situation makes him anxious. The murder victim is Robert the Orderly, and his body shows signs of being both drowned and burned at the same time, just like what happened to Johnny when the Crimson Flame took him away in the middle of the ocean. Someone is trying to send a message to Alan Scott, and the Green Lantern is determined to answer them. But that may be easier said than done, because high in the sky overlooking the pier is a figure dressed in a red version of Alan's costume, surrounded by a distinctly crimson glow. All right, Chad, you're up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I like the art in this. The art continues to be a strong point throughout this series. Um, And uh, there's lots of fun with it. I do like a lot of the color usage, especially in here, very bright colors. And you can tell some of the differences in choices, like, you know, the color chosen for the lantern itself versus when it glows versus when there's a bit of a reddish hue to it. And then, of course, the lighting when um, uh, he's given the power and everything, the the different shades of green within the light and everything. So I think it all continues to be pretty strong, artistically speaking. Um, lots of detail in that train crash and everything for sure. So that's cool. Can I, ch- can I chime in about the lighting really quick? Yeah. Because the uh, I did just to show you how my brain works. When I saw orange coming from the lantern, I immediately went down the road of like, all right, what does this mean? What is it? What's what does it mean for the uh, like the power of the lantern? Is some other source connecting to the to the emerald flame? What's what's going on with that? And then I remembered it's a lantern and. Alan's using it as a lamp, and that orange glow is just real fire. <laughs> no, it's not. No? What do you no, mean? I don't think it is. Because uh, the, the it keeps, uh, especially where's the panel I'm looking for? Oh, okay. So when, when the train crash happens, it's, you know, we bring death, then life. And then and in that panel, the two sides uh are the the two colors are merging and then for, from red to green and then it's all green and then there's all green for power um there's a, several times throughout the actual issue beyond just the train um that it briefly glows red because it'll it says we bring so first of all there's a light alan is lying in bed with the the journal or whatever on top of his chest there's no light on him then the light is like a reddish orange and then it turns green says we bring life and then we look at the lantern and the lantern is green and orange in there and then we look back at the lantern again in the very next panel it's back to green this is i think this is intentional and then of course we get the moment where it changes colors of course on the train itself uh, a couple of times uh, including almost immediately before the crash okay maybe cuz uh, i mean the i i took that as any time the lan- there's orange light coming out of the lantern it's because like alan lit the wick himself with real fire and it's changing states to glow magic green light and then going back to normal no there's a connection between the emerald flame and the crimson flame uh i'm i'm very very sure of it because part of my problem with this issue is the billing stuff or the billy um because uh his his name is mr billings in the original appearance um there's only let's see one two three four five panels of of mr billings in the uh, all-american 16 origin but part of my problem with it is you know um is is the changing of that because it was a very kind of pure thing in the comics uh, and i don't mean that uh, uh any any other way than like it was just kind of like a happy coincidence type of thing 
there was the original uh, Chinese guy. I think it was Chinese uh, in the original story who had found the meteor and everything. And then the villagers attacked and killed him. And then the, the lantern glowed and killed everybody who killed him. So that was kind of like a nice quote unquote, nice revenge story thing. And then much, 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 much later, this lantern ends up in the trash can outside of this insane asylum and the janitor and, and one of the guards find it. And they're like, Oh, let's give it to old Mr. Billings because he likes making lanterns out of stuff. Um, you know, for no apparent reason. And the, the flame gl- glows again for life and it gives the man his life back in a very positive way. He was insane and committed and we have restored his sanity and sent him off back into the world. But this takes that and quote unquote breaks it by, you know, quote unquote restoring his sanity. I'm not sure. Look, Alan's getting electroshocks and stuff like that. So that, you know, I, I guess I, I could see how we would assume Billings or Billy would be given the same treatment. But the nurse says he wasn't responding to other treatments. So he received Dr. Freeman's new procedure to root the trouble right out of his brain, which sounds like a lobotomy. That's what I took it as, too. I yeah. I, I took it as he was more lobotomized. It could be. I I, I leaned it towards electroshock because we like we've seen it explicitly shown and say that they do it like several times over the last like two issues and like in real life like we know that extensive use of it can cause brain damage so i mean honestly like the method isn't really important no like, it all is that not really matters yeah so i i mean i think look i i i get it and, I, and like from the perspective that I've taken in recent uh, in recent episodes of the show that this is a different timeline, Alan, I can see what they're doing there because they're kind of keeping that original like he was healed. But but to me, that takes away something from the origin of the Emerald Flame itself in terms of I, I don't want to use the word purity, because especially given the topics we're talking about tonight. But I, you know, just the 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 sweetness or whatever kind of inherent in the original origin, despite the death and the train crash and everything like that. The idea that the Emerald Flame glowed to kind of give, you know, to take revenge on the people that killed the Chinese guy, um, that it glowed uh, to give this man his life back, that it glowed to give Alan power like. But then you think as a fan, you're like, also, well, the Starheart was never really uh, a wholly positive thing. So you kind of have to take that into consideration. But I don't I don't even know that it's even Starheart related that this there's this sort of twist, this this evil, negative, dark twist to everything so much as what I was talking about earlier and the fact that there's some sort of tie between the Emerald Flame and the Crimson Flame. So I just I personally don't like that the the flame has glowed to bring life to Billings, um, Billy Billings. I'm just used to calling him Billings because of the the uh, All American 16 issue. I don't like that it was glowing glowing green to grant him life for the lobotomy, unless we're thinking it did something else for life. And I don't know what that something else would be. And maybe I need to reread the comic again. I don't know. Um, but that's really my only concern about it um, is is what happens to Billy uh, besides just, just the moral implications of electroshock therapy and lobotomies just to address homosexuality. Um, uh, but, you know, that's the time and they're clearly doing like conversion therapy and stuff, especially giving the crucifixes all over the walls and stuff like that. 
but uh, there was a lot of dialogue in here, and I do like how close Alan is with Billy. Um, I thought that was cool. It was just two guys going through a similar situation. One of them went to, on, on the other side, the other end of life, and who's been through a lot of stuff. And we can only assume, given the time period that Alan is in here, um, that Billy probably had a lot of the same experiences Alan has here and will have in the future, given how old Billy is. He's been around and seen a few things so he's probably had to live with this since his entire life i don't know when he you know uh, came to the realization uh, of his sexuality but in terms of everything that's happening here it's it's nice to for alan to have a non-romantic confidant who understands everything that's going through which in, in another really great thing i'll say about this comic is the tie that they kind of make between billy and um and Doiby in terms of the confidant and how he reminds uh, Doiby reminds him of Billy. Um, and I think that was a really cool thing there. It's nice to have that sort of non-romantic look. You're not my type. I don't care. I just, I see you going through something and I care about you as a person. So I thought that was really cool. Um, and I do like the glimpses that we kind of got to see back and forth. A lot of the comics that we're reading with green lantern nowadays, um, are giving us these time skip things where we jump back and forth between past and present events and stuff like that. And it can be a little tedious, but I kind of enjoyed the interweaving narrative here. Um, and, uh, but yeah, uh, I think my big observations here are the tie, but the potential tie between the Emerald flame and the crimson flame and my relative problem with the I- potential idea that Billy getting lobotomized is the lantern's way of, bringing life (laughs) so yeah i think we have to kind of separate like unless this miniseries contradicts this idea later i think we have to separate concepts of good and bad or good and evil or whatever from the actions of of the emerald flame just because i don't know it's it's a big pile of magic like we don't know like it might not have what am I trying to say? It could be as simple as it if it alters the destiny of anybody who gets too close to it, whatever that means. Like all we know for sure is that it is enacting a cycle of death and new life onto numerous people throughout the ages until it presumably until it finds someone that it deems worthy of power. So like that could be a good thing, that could be a bad thing, or it like the the power itself may not actually care or make those kinds of judgment calls. Hmm. Like something that I, I mean, obviously I don't like such a terrible thing happening to Billy, but I do really like. I almost don't even want to call it changes, but I, I do like the changes made to Billings here because like. When you go back and read All American Comics 16 back in 1940, all there is to this person is, oh, the, oh, the, he's a uh, he's an inmate in an asylum. He made the lantern, and then they told him he could go home when he was all better. Like that's it. That is a like, a, and his name is Billings. Like that is 100 percent of what existed for this character. I honestly don't even like calling him a character he was a plot convenience you know compare that 
to what we got in this issue, where all of that stuff from All American Comics 16 still happened and is valid. It was just built on and the context was changed a little bit. Like Billings in 1940 was nothing. Billy in 2023 is a person. And that is a complete upgrade, in my opinion. And like the honestly, the biggest change made to that entire asylum portion of Alan's 1940 origin is that it it challenges the assumptions we made about the mental state of Billings and the intentions behind the staff of the asylum. Yeah, Uh, I mean, I I think I think, look, I and I fully admitted in my own saying of it that I could be interpreting the bring bring life thing incorrectly. And I'm, I'm willing to be, you know, to read subsequent issues or whatever and, and see, you know, see that built upon and stuff and, and what the intent is. Uh, I will also say uh, just here briefly that Alan in his own journal also recognizes um, that uh, the, the lantern is, is glowing not with flame, but with uh different power because he says, I know what I heard on the ship with Johnny. Then there, the other, then, then here the other night, the same voice, but somehow different. I can't explain it. And that light, that crimson red light, was it real? That's what he's talking about. Okay. I, I, I think I missed the crimson red. Yeah. Um, but, I... but in terms of like um, the context and everything that you mentioned that was changed, I think that that's my problem. I don't have any problem with building on the character of Billings, I do one would wonder. I I would wonder what's the original origin of the lantern. Now, then, do we keep the whole meteor crashing into uh, kind of a, a Chinese village or whatever? How long ago did that happen? How did the lantern get? You know, and I'm maybe maybe that'll be answered in subsequent issues. We'll we'll see. I guess. I mean, um, I don't see. So, I don't see why it would. Like, uh, like this. Like a big thing with this. Like this. Like it's not quite a Jeff Con, you know, to borrow Mark's term, but yeah. like these two issues so far, they've been adding stuff without explicitly taking stuff away. Yeah. And like the bit like the biggest in terms just in terms of narrative, the biggest difference between this miniseries and All American Comics number 16 is that this miniseries is entirely from Alan Scott's point of view. So we don't get to see anything that he's not there for. So like there, unless, unless something happens to change that, I don't think we're going to, to see anything that happened in China, but you know, this, like what Billy says about like where he got the metal from the, for the, the lantern is is still consistent with what happened back in the 1940 issue because it was literally like oh the staff of the asylum found it found the old lamp in the garbage and brought it in to be used in the the workshop and then bill and then billy billings made a a lantern out of it mm-hmm. the thing that i really i really really do like is the personal ownership of the lantern and the weight that comes with it because like in the months that we didn't get to see of alan in the asylum you know being friends with billy apparently like alan was able to like really help him through a lot of a lot of like really i think i think billy just describes it as like some really dark times or dark dark thoughts or something and in a way 
giving Alan a lantern kind of felt like an appropriate thank you because it's like, hey, you were kind of my guiding light and now maybe this can help you make it through your own darkness. And even when this is all over, Alan still carries that lantern with him because it was a gift from a dear friend. And that gift represents what that friend saw as Alan's best qualities. And like, I, I can't tell you how much more I like this than the idea of that. I think we've always just sort of assumed like, oh yeah, that, that green lantern, that was, that just happened to be on the same train that Alan was on because it's a train lantern and they put it on a random train and it was just, you know, it was just dumb luck and coincidence that, that it was Alan's train and he happened to be holding it. Like, no, he, he, it was there because he brought it with him. He was holding it because it's something he cares about. Like, it's, it's, I love it. I like this so much better than yeah, just I, like, oh yeah, that was just there. Yeah. I mean, I like it much in the same way, like in, in the Earth 2 origin, the, the nice touch that it was that the power spoke to him was like, Hey, I, 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 I kind of need a focus. I need you to pick something and it pick, you know, Alan was, uh, of Earth 2 was like the ring I was going to propose to Johnny with or, yes. yeah. So that would, that was a nice touch. So I, I do like that there's a more personal history now with the lantern. Um, because yes, in, in all American comic 16, it was very coincident. It's meteor crashed. I'm going to turn it into a lamp. Lamp somehow ends up in trash can. I'm going to turn the lamp into a lantern. Uh, and then somehow it ends up on a train. So yes, uh, there was a whole lot of just, just so happened to be, uh, in the story in, in the original origin. So making it a little bit beefier. That's nice. I do like that. The 1940s comic was eight pages at that. Martin O'Dell had to cram a lot of stuff in there. So it's like, it's, I'm not saying like, oh man, he wrote a bad story or anything. It was just like, it was, there was no choice but to give an almost abridged version of everything because that's all you could fit, you know? I mean, that's also just a status quo of the golden age. There wasn't a whole lot of depth in those early stories, regardless of page length. Yeah. Yeah. Mark, what do you think? Well, how long have we been recording? I'm I'm already frustrated. I feel like you put me on an island again, Chad. So thanks for that. (laughs) Mark, this is a safe space. We love you. It is nothing. I appreciate that. It's not that I feel uncomfortable. It's just that it's somewhat comical. It's like I, I, I. I guess I should have, I guess I should have asked Chad exactly <laughs> what, what he was going to say instead of just assuming he was going to say more than he did. Hold on, I got to take a drink. <laughs> and I need it, and I need, and not what I should be drinking. It's only water. Now, when we talked about this, I think you, Dan, mentioned this about something I think that you said you liked about the new 52, Alan Scott, which, 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 uh, Chad kind of just referenced that is that they didn't really play with his origin all that much. And do we really need, I mean, obviously DC needs to do this, but objectively, did we really need to bring even Alan's retcon sexuality into his origin? Was it really necessary to have to tie it to ha- It's like, it, we, we know it's like in literally in this, like in this issue alone, we already know that in in this book, it's not even exaggerating to say there's probably at least like 85 to 90% of the content is related directly or indirectly to Alan's sexuality but the origin i just don't know i just don't i just think that's having the battery this way so now and then what happens on the train which you know which there's something about that i want to reference later on but 
I just don't see what I don't. I mean, I I don't want to see what the I don't want to say I don't see what the point is because obviously, again, that's the this is the point of how they want to tell the story. It's always got to be all the time, nonstop, beating you over the head with the sledgehammer. No subtlety, no nuance, and telling it from one perspective and blah 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 blah. It wasn't necessary that we had to have even that part of Alan's origin had to be changed. It's like it just I just don't see I just don't see why it really had to be changed. And the stuff with uh I think a lot of stuff in this book, I I think I've said I think I've said it I don't know if I said it in the last episode, but I think it walks the line of being stereotypical with some of the things we get in this book. I mean, it's, you know, Billy's calling somebody a queen in this. And I guess some people, I guess Billy would be a queen to other people. Uh, of course, we have the whole pronoun thing, which, yes, it's not like people didn't, you know, it wasn't as big a deal back then. But some people would refer to themselves. I'm sure would prefer to be used a feminine pronoun. But that is but we kind of know that's a 2020, 2023 thing, especially to, th- to throw in there. I just, I don't know. I think even most of the stuff on Alan is, is actually in Green Lantern garb, this, this issue in which literally nothing happens when he's Green Lantern. There's no action in this story at all, other than basically the train, re- train wreck at the end and when they break out of the asylum. But even most of that is spent related, you know, being triggered or, th- or something related to. And it's just, again, it's just, it seems like, I know it's how they want to tell the story. It's their game plan. But the approach is just, it would be so much more accessible to people and people would be so much more willing to go along with the journey of the personal journey of discovery and being comfortable with yourself and even relating to the things that people did go through. Now, and it's some of that is borderline stereotypical too. It's not like conversion therapy didn't, what didn't take place. Of course it did. But but even the idea of oh you're going to this you're going to the to this asylum or you're going to this uh, special special home special ward and of course the patients are always mistreated that's a serious trope we see that all the time not because it's not true at times or hasn't been true but it's not true all the time uh, I guess I could believe that his 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 commanding officer would kind of give him this opportunity it's also possible his commanding officer would just give him a break too on it too and just say well basically don't shit where you eat from now on and and out of sight out of mind don't ask don't tell and i don't want to hear about it i don't want to see it so but i guess i could see that i i think the chain the whole changing of the of the battery thing that 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 bothers me and i do think yeah i kind of agree with you about the commanding officer thing like i think i think the impulse was we have to get Alan into Arkham just because like I, and in a, in all American comics 16, it's just an asylum. Cause I don't think like the whole Gotham connection wasn't there yet, but as like in retrospect, like, yeah, it would make sense if like considering green lantern starts out as a Gotham city hero, if you're going to have an asylum, be part of the story, it's going to be Arkham. Right. And yeah, I, th- I think it was just like like it it was a convenient excuse to put Alan in this new location. Probably, yeah. There's there's that. There's also I think the 70s. I think is when Arkham Asylum first appeared. So it's it's actually it's it's a nice retcon in the sense that 
when Arkham Asylum was introduced and then the years and years and years of storytelling that went by, we have since established that the Arkhams were a family in Gotham for a long time and Arkham Asylum has a long history as a building, whether it's an asylum or not throughout various stages of, of, of time. But like, like it was a present in like the 1700s or 1800s or whatever in, in Gotham and what was Gotham at the time. So the fact that Arkham was created in the seventies in comic continuity, um, but retroactively should have existed in Gotham at the time. Alan was, was a hero in Gotham. I think that's, that's cool to make that tie. So, yeah. Yeah. Like they never say the name of the dude that takes Alan's journal, but I assume his last name is probably Arkham. It's it's not far enough back that this is Jeremiah Arkham. This is probably like Stewie Arkham or some shit like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one one quick thing before we circle circle back just to to, to what you're talking about, uh, Mark. Just because I'm on the page, um, the guy that takes the journal from him, you know, he says, but it does provide cause to suspend your rights and have you officially committed, Mister Lad Scott. Are they acknowledging his marriage or just whatever he checked himself in under? That's how he checked himself in. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Which I don't know. I don't think we. I don't think we said that. That's that's a call out. I think I believe to the original origin because his original, if if I remember right, he was going to be called Alan Ladd, but there was too close to Aladdin with a lamp and everything, so they changed it to Alan Scott. Oh, I don't think I've heard that. I, I heard that from like from Jackie Nodell or I, I heard that from somebody at one point and I don't remember where I heard it. But uh, so it, listeners at home, it could be complete and utter bullshit, but I'm pretty sure that's a call out to what his name was originally going to be before uh, official publication of All-American 16. I thought it was Alan Ladd. If, if that's true, it's a really cool choice. I like it. Um, but relating to what you were talking about, Mark, I, I, I see what you mean in terms of making like kind of every tendril of his origin rooted in his sexuality now, including now the, the battery and everything. And in, in, in a way, I agree with you because I think the difference though is what I was talking about in our feedback episode is now my, my choice to kind of see this as an alternate timeline. Alan is much in the same way there are different you know, and I mentioned this before, there are different uh, categories of Legion based on different timelines and, and so on and so forth. I just I see this as a different timeline, Alan, and thus my choice to do that has lessened my ability to get mad at it, some of the some of the I guess what could be perceived as smaller things. Like It's kind of what you said. It's their game plan and everything that happens from here on out that aligns with their game plan may frustrate me, but because I'm not shocked by it um, and, and everything like that, it, it just, it, it doesn't phase me as hard as it did before. I think is the thing. I guess that's one of those things where sometimes, sometimes you, you know how things are going to play out, but even, but even when it does play out that way, you still kind of shake your head a little bit or it's still disappointing a little bit. It's like, is it like we all do these things in our in our just in our lives? It's like sometimes it's like, well, I know how this is going to play out, but I have to I have to see it to the end because if for whatever reason, even if it's even if it's just a sadist in you, depending on what it is, because because you just but just to pe- just sometimes for that peace of mind or that see, there was that chance it could have turned out differently, but it, that's why I went down this road. But deep down, this is where we thought I knew we would end up. 
Now, but I will openly admit I, that that surprised me. That the fact that they went they went down that rabbit hole in this issue did that. I just that that kind of just made me shake my head. It's like really, it's like a, it's almost like a a weird warped uh, version of like uh, the end of the McCarthy hearings. Like at long last, do you like do you have? It's sort of like do you do you have no shame? It's like it's like, and I only mean that half joke, mostly jokingly. But the idea of it's like, do we really need? I mean, can there be one piece of what Alan Scott was before that has that hasn't had to be completely rewritten, retconned, wiped away, put back together just because the powers that be at DC want to do it now? So when we saw going back to something that we talked about last issue review that when I said, oh, because this really isn't Alan Scott, there isn't other than the way he looks, there's very little so far that we've gotten, regardless of, yes, he's. Like like uh, Jan, Dan pointed out accurately, well, he's not at that point of his life when he's really the Alan Scott that we know. But then again, with this whole retcon puzzle piecing together of Alan Scott, he may technically never be the Alan Scott that we know until he just until the modern version when he comes out. And they want to take that approach to storytelling. So there there isn't a lot of the real Alan Scott here. It's 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 borderline caricature at times. But that being said. Well, I understand and I see the value in, in talking how it, if it was being approached differently. And I think that's the part of the problem with the approach. There are legitimate things worth discussing here about characters and looking at giving voice to the voiceless that you see a whole a whole uh, group of people that from a comic book perspective that you were never represented. In the 30s and the 40s and the 50s and the 60s, when you got into the 70s, you probably could maybe start alluding. But really, until the 80s, you couldn't really even come close to having someone really even heavily hinting that someone was bi or gay before getting to the modern era when you can can just come, come on out and it's not a big deal. So the idea that we never had characters like that to really focus on that and, again, giving quote unquote voice to the voiceless and having comic book readers be able to see themselves even if it's only part of themselves because everybody's experience is different see themselves in the alan scott's journey of discovery and other characters and everything else i just think the number one i think the approach is so ridiculously non-nuanced and heavy-handed i think it really hurts them so much more than if they just did a little bit of the idea again you catch more flies with sugar than you do vinegar but that again, but but understanding now that they don't give a shit about that because that's not they don't want again you to to just oh this is really Alan Scott with a change we understand that that's clearly not what they want they want you to not forget that this Alan Scott is pretty much different. That being said, one of the things I thought was looking at because it happened in both issue one and issue two, and I noticed it in issue one, but there was so much more to talk about in issue one. It echoed with me more in issue two, and it bothered me because I think it's problematic at best. That while you can try to rationalize it when it happens in both issues and say, well, you know, Alan Scott, when he's having doubts about what he's doing, and usually because we've had three of two moments in these two books, I think both both realistically post coital moments. So he's thinking with his big head at the moment that he's wondering if basically what he's doing is right. He's doubting himself now. Yes. In the second issue, to be fair, from a storytelling perspective. He's probably really pick. He's picking up on the power battery and the fact that the train is about to crash. But it doesn't really matter because the only reason he, those statements are in the book 
is so both times his lover can say, of course, it's right. There's nothing wrong with this. It's beautiful. That's the real reason those quotes are in the book. So you get that positive, quote unquote, reinforcement. So why Alan might just be looking for positive reinforcement, he also could legitimately be having self-doubts about whether this is really what he should be doing or whether it's right for him. Because that's not unnatural. And forget about if you're transitioning into it, you know, into bisexuality, experimenting, becoming, or even if you think that you're gay, but you've never actually done anything before, that for whatever reason, even if, you know, the subtext I think here is also that, oh, the only reason he thinks that it's wrong is because of how he was raised and it's society. And even if that's true, or 90% of it in what's in Alan's head, not everybody who has doubts or thinks, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Or it's like, I really, I enjoyed the build up to it, but now that it's over with, it's like, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't do this again. I think it's a little dismissive to just tie it all up to say, again, based on the agenda that they have, that in this instance, oh, that's okay. Of course it's okay. Move beyond any doubt that you have. There's nothing. And again, I'm not saying that there is anything wrong with what they're doing in particular. I'm just saying philosophically that they're saying in this instance, because of what they want you, to, what they want to, to tell you, there's nothing wrong with this. But if Alan Scott was having doubts about or somebody was pressuring him to go too far and he wasn't ready and he was talking to someone, everybody would say to him, well, if you're having doubts, that probably means you're not ready. If Alan was a woman, a girl being pressured by her boyfriend to lose her virginity, and she was like, I'm not sure if I'm ready. And she was talking to a friend saying, I really like him, but I don't know. And it's like, well, there's your answer, girl, because if you were ready, you wouldn't be having all these doubts and you wouldn't and you probably wouldn't be having this conversation. But because of how, again, how non-nuanced this is and how heavy handed this is, I think it's very dismissive of 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 things. Again, looking at the real world, things people really go through. People really do have doubts and wonder about whether this is right for them. And be, and this is basically saying, ah, you shouldn't have doubts at all. As one, just plow plow ahead. And I think it's dismissive. I think it's a little. I don't think that's cool, objectively. But I also think even if you want to look at it from a storytelling perspective, there was your opening for how Alan Scott could end up in relationships with women, and they wouldn't be as blatant beards or just lies, because Alan Scott could have these. Can continue to do this, have the relationships all end horribly, tragically, and also feel crappy along the way while he's in them, makes him question whether he really should be doing this. He says, at least let me see what it's like on the other side. And that's the opening for being with women. And eventually he realizes, well, that's not really who he is. And the reason why he felt okay, more okay, even if he wasn't as passionate involved and wasn't as drawn to women, but he felt less guilty, maybe, or problematic afterwards was because of society, the same reason he felt bad about being with men because he was conditioned, the same reason he felt that it was okay to be with women. If they did that, there's your there, there would be a way of exploring Alan's relationship with women without making it be just total lies. But what do we get in this issue? We get that horrible panel when Alan says, you know, once again, I'm going to get fixed. And when I get out of here, like the first woman I meet, I'm going to marry. So you pretty much know that how they're going to approach Alan dealing with women in all likelihood, which we kind of knew anyway. But those things kind of bothered me hand in hand. And so I think you are making a lot of very wild assumptions in terms of how they're going to explain Alan marrying and having kids with a woman, especially since this issue 
Like the entire reason he's in an asylum is because he doesn't know how to process what he's feeling or whether or not it's right to f- to feel this or want that. He like, well, he's, is, like well, is he in the asylum technically to try to, to get that out of his system? If he really knew, I'm not sure he'd be going in there to quote unquote be deprogrammed if he really 100% knew that that's what he wanted. I mean, but I he, think he, he wants to be dep- he wants to not have to deal with this anymore, whether that's right or wrong. That's what's right. Well, it's, it's what you, it's something I think it was you that said earlier. Like he grew up in, he grew up his whole life being taught that this was, it was wrong to be this way. And now he knows that he is this way. And more, the most important piece of this is that the, the first person that he ever found that made it feel all, all right to be this way died horrifically right in front of him. So he, like, Alan's trauma of witnessing what he believes to be the gruesome death of Johnny is inseparable from from his own complicated feelings about his own sexuality. Like he wants this piece of him to go away because he wants that hurt to go away. He cannot separate it from Johnny. And like, we've all like, and and just like, and think about like the fact that the one place he thought he could go to get help ended up being like, it ended up being a hell populated by monsters that torture people. Like, we're, there's obviously there's four more issues to go. We're going to get this expanded on much more, but there's already plenty of reasons to believe that Alan is going to to come out of all this feeling feeling all sorts of messed up feelings that honestly, just based on what we have now, yeah, it kind of makes sense to me that he would stay in the closet for decades after this and not tell anybody about it and. And yeah, try to live the life that he thinks he's supposed to live. And that honest, that doesn't mean that he doesn't legitimately love or feel love for the women that he was with. It's just that people and emotions are really fucking complicated. And the more like the, I, the more we try to put them in easy to label boxes, the more we're going to fail. Uh, I think too, just to, to bring something back, uh, Dan said before that pissed him off. And, uh, you know, honestly, the further we get into this, I'm starting to agree with him. Not that I didn't agree with you before, Dan, but I like, I'm seeing it more. The whole barrier gaze trope here, uh, happening, which is just, I guess, uh, in terms of tropes, it's, it's the gay equivalent of fridging, right? Uh, yeah. And, yeah. yeah. So Basically. like, the idea that, you know, Johnny's his first love, Johnny dies, and then he moves on to Jimmy, Jimmy dies, uh, Alan's, uh, Alan of Earth 2 and, and his, his whole relationship and him dying. And then, uh, this, uh, Robert guy who we mentioned briefly at the end of the story who we didn't talk about who was probably the Red Lantern, um, maybe, um, but like, you know, him turning out to be his mortal enemy, uh, like that, that whole thing, like that, that also kind of plays a little bit into this, the frustration of all this, because if you're doing the idea of uh, a gay man who's living his life closeted back in the forties and fifties and blah, 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 you kind of have to explain if he was, you know, if he was gay then and had relationships back then, what happened to those people? Oh, the easy out is they killed them or, you know, they, you know, 
we, we go somewhere else with that. It's weird to me that we're still using the barrier gaze trope here. Uh, despite everything, uh, I, I guess like it's the easy out, but I kind of wish, you know, if we're going to lean into his sexuality, like you were talking about, Dan, let's see him in a fucking successful relationship. Holy God. Yeah. Or in a not successful relationship, but one that plays out and has the same problems any relationship would of, you know, disagreement about the future or, you know, where to live or what you know, placemats to choose at the wedding or like whatever. Yeah, they can um, just break up. Yeah, you know, like that's what I'm saying is like, if we're, why why do we have to keep throwing it? You know, if we're gonna keep going, he's gay, he's gay, he's gay, he's gay. Why do we have to kill and get rid of every interest he has? Because can we just see him. Can we just see the relationship? Can because, we just have it be normal for because him? Because that's what they want. Yeah. That's the point. The remember, you, you have to look at the story they're telling. They, 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 they are, they are. This is where again, when I talk about, it, it's like because it's again, it's not because all stereotypes there's some basis and truth for them. But the point is, this is this is almost all borderline stereotypes. It's like Alan Scott can't be, he can't be happy, he can't be himself because of the time period he's living in. So you're gonna have to keep coming up with obstacles for why. You know, he's he was closeted for so long and why he was never happy or he couldn't have a a a a semblance of a happy life being the way he really wanted to be back then. So that's 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 the easy way out. So that's that is probably how one way or the other. If even if it's not the internal reflection that I was talking about of Alan taking a break or it kind of goes hand in hand in a way that it's just the mere fact of all these relationships keep ending horribly that might alone might drive him to okay let's let me let me let's try let me try the other side and you're right that we don't you are right that we don't conclusively know how they're going to handle his relationship with women i'm you have to admit we haven't seen anything on paper and and what we've seen on paper so far just doesn't give you a good indication that they're going to treat those relationships respectfully compared to that oh i love them but I really wasn't in love with that. We've got more evidence supporting that's the way they're going to take it. And even that line in this book about, oh, I'm going to marry the first woman I see. That's not exactly a confidence builder that they're going to show a lot of respect in his relationship with women. Well, let me tell you, since Chad kind of brought it up, uh, let me tell you what I think is going to be the final nail in the traumatic coffin that keeps Alan in the closet for as long as he stays there. Uh, Given how this issue focuses a lot on the idea of death and new life and how Billings or Billy dies so Billings can live, how Alan dies so he can be reborn as the Green Lantern. I think Johnny is alive. I think Johnny Lad died so Vladimir Sokov can live. I think Johnny is the Red Lantern. And that truth is going to fuck Alan right up. Hey, so you mean so you mean my my conjecture was right then? <laughs> I, you know what? A month ago you were full of shit, but now you're right. <laughs> well, regardless, I think we have a lot of thoughts on this. We should probably see what some of our listeners have been thinking about what we've been talking about for this, huh? Yes, that sounds great. Okay, thank God. Uh, so we don't have so we don't have to express our own opinion for like two set two minutes. <laughs> 
Um, uh, and we got two kind of uh, different sides of the the seesaw here on this. But tonight, we'll I guess we'll start with the email from Kim. Uh, uh, Kim. Uh, so Kim says, uh, I very much enjoyed your cast on the Alan Scott comic. It was thoughtful, respectful, and I knew exactly what you were saying. There was no room for an intelligent listener to to infer anything, but that it was a clear evaluation and critical look at an important comic book topic. What I didn't like was the constant apologizing on this episode and especially the one that followed. Uh, he's referring to our feedback. Episode. Feedback. Uh, you are both highly knowledgeable and qualified fellow, uh, eminently prepared uh, fellows, uh, eminently prepared to comment on the Alan Scott issue. Fine. Do it with all your, with, with your head held high. I learned and came to agree with you on several points I hadn't thought of, but don't allow yourselves to be wishy-washy and give us a one-hour podcast apology, apologizing for something uh, no one is complaining about or has any valid reason to complain about other than the fact that they disagree with you. The issue at hand is not, quote, how do the does the podcast host feel about the gay people, unquote, or, quote, should gay people have all the legal rights and respect that non-gay people have, unquote, or, quote, God in my church hates gay people, unquote. It's about the proper way to write an engaging and enjoyable comic book character. DC is failing miserable at this. Do your job. Call them out. State your reasons clearly and logically and quit pussyfooting around. Be fearless like Al Jordan. And he means Chad. I'm kidding. <laughs> he obviously means us both. And I think I kind of know. But yeah, I, I, I look, I will say uh, and, and Mark, Mark has made full acknowledgement uh, both on and off the air. I am more nervous about all of this than anything else, but um, without getting overly personal and revealing details, I am from a combination of, of family. My dad's side is from West Texas and, and Nebraska, and my mother's side is from Iowa. So I'll give you three guesses as to which side of the political spectrum the regard the majority of my family falls under as well as the um religious implications of an upbringing like that to say that i am not gay but have experienced uh by watching a lot of um venom and bile being spewed whether intentionally or unintentionally towards members of the homosexual community by members of my family or others close to my family is um is probably relatively well inferred by my history. I have had to stand by members of my family and support their lives and their decisions and love them when others of my family would not. Um, and I, while, while I am not a member of that community, um, I have experienced a lot of, of the, uh, I've seen, not experienced, I've seen uh, in a very direct way what a lot of that venom and bile can do. And I don't like speaking of whereof I do not know. Uh, and because I'm not a gay person or member of that community, I don't feel comfortable talking on topics that I don't have experience with. And I get very nervous about how it is perceived by others. And that's why I may come across as restating things or trying to backtrack or say things in certain ways. Cause I'm very, very nervous. Not that Twitter, where people just spew venom just for the hell of it with no thought of consequence. What not what people on Twitter are gonna think, but I I really 
I really don't want to be a product seen as as similar to a product of the way my upbringing could have made me be. Um, it took me a long time to break free of how I was raised. And I want to be very clear. I'm not saying my family is a bunch of evil, you know, uh, evil individuals and stuff like that. It's just, you know, the religious stuff and all that. There's a lot of, you know, stuff that happens in those upbringings. And it took me a long time to break free of what I was taught to become who I am today in terms of what I want to be and who I want to be to others. And I chose to show my family who was ostracized by other parts of my family, the love that everybody else wouldn't. And I really try very hard to not be as exclusive as other people I grew up with. And I worry sometimes that I come across that way. So that's without getting into the hyper-specific details of everything, but um, it, it, there's a lot that goes into the reason I backtrack. Uh, and I'm sorry if it seems like I'm pussyfooting around, to be quite honest with you. Uh, I see, to, to be fair, I see it myself. When I re-listen to our episodes, I go, wow, I'm really harping on that. But that's where it comes from. And I will try to do a better job at just speaking my mind and hoping that the listeners understand what I mean. No, and it, it comes from good intentions because these these are topics that are important to people. Like, I have a lot of friends who are not straight, and does that mean I understand all of it? No. Does that mean I can speak on behalf of them? No. But I know enough to to realize that stories like this and conversations like this are important. And like, it's, it's not all like, like we, I think we all came to, to comic books because we liked seeing superheroes shoot space lasers at monsters. And along the way, we kind of realized that, oh, they can actually say important things too. And it just, it's, I think like the thing that makes it uncomfortable at times is when that line between escapist fantasy and and real life starts to break down and in instances like that like this it's unavoidable so like yeah it does get more personal and it does it makes everybody involved feel a little more vulnerable and i think for me again i certainly don't think I certainly don't think when it comes to stating my opinions that I'm wishy-washy, but I think if reading Kim's email, and I thought about this when when we first got it, that for me, if I feel like I have to cl- clarify things, I just want to make it clear because, because depending on what you're talking about, sometimes it's important when you're talking, like, like in the last segment, when we're talking about the idea that when you're feeling that just, if you're, if you're doubting what you're doing and you're having self-doubts and, Maybe that's not right for you, which doesn't mean the actual activity is wrong in general to differentiate between that. And I think that's important that even though even if you may finally make the decision, well, I shouldn't be doing that. It doesn't mean, quote unquote, that is is a bad thing. It just may not be right for you. So I try to I try to qualify things when I feel it's necessary. And I think I need to, again, uh, being on the island more than than the others here, which is all right, that it's it's. Just because I feel that if I if I am wishy washy or 
perceived that way, it's only because I feel like I need to clarify the minutia, if you will, clear through the minutia and just make it clear that this this is what this is the main point I'm not trying to make. So there's no so there's very little room for misinterpretation. And it's it's nice that some that I think most people, at least what we've heard, that there isn't any misinterpretation about the points that we're trying to make, regardless of any of the three of us. But that's 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 the that's the main thing. It's like in and because I think certainly my take my take on this. I mean, I'm more likely I'm more direct to say that I don't really that this book so far isn't working for me. And I don't think objectively, I don't think this book is going to is really working for the majority of people reading the book. I think there's a very small target audience for this book, especially if you leave out DC editorial and the writer's room is an extremely small window target audience for this book. And that's and well, and we're going to get to that in a few minutes that especially and it's more people who will appreciate the message, even if you think how the message is being delivered is is borderline or or, or even shitty. But because you're so you believe you believe in the message so much that you're willing to ignore the other stuff. And I just think maybe it's the English major in me. How how it's being delivered is extremely important, because I think by approaching things the way they approach it, they're basically turning switches off and turning people off that might be willing to be more open to the ideas and you know lifting the veil and letting people see and empathize with other people more if the approach wasn't. Over your head, over your head, over your head. Yeah, I think I think at the end of the day, like I said, I think I just need to trust the listeners more, which is, look, I, I'm going to be honest. It's very hard for me to do. It's not that I, uh, you know, demonize every <laughs> every listener. But let's be honest, this is a public medium and we have no idea who's listening and when they're listening. Um, are they listening to every episode or are they skipping episodes in between? Do I need to restate something I said before just to make sure that whoever's listening to this episode understands where I'm coming from if they didn't hear the one before? And, and I'm not saying I should have to or whatever. I'm just saying that's the kind of mental gymnastics my mind is going through because I'm so desperately trying to not be that person uh, for other people. Like cancel culture is a thing and people are everywhere. But like it's not I'm not afraid of being canceled. I'm afraid of being labeled something I'm not, and I'm overcompensating for it. That's all it is. And I mean, to to speak to the, your point there, Chad, like, it is incredibly hard to assume that the audience is on the same page with you unless they listen to everything you put out when you put it out. Because, like, there are, like, a very real thing, like, be, for for us and for other content creators on podcasts and YouTube channels and everything is that someone will come to something that we've recorded eight years ago and then write in to say that, that we were wrong because it doesn't match up with a thing that happened last week. It's like, look at the, look at the timestamp on that. Like it's, it's like you, it's, it encourages hedging of bets basically and reminding people that like, oh, as of the time of this recording, this is what's happening or like whatever, because like everything that we record and release is going to be consumed at any random time forever. And it's going to be completely divorced from the environment it was originally conceived in. So there is so much potential for misunderstanding and misinterpretation. For sure. 
All right. We have a voicemail now that shows the other side of the, the perspective, which we'll go ahead and play now. Hey there, Lantern Cast. I just wanted to respond to some of the Alan Scott Green Lantern coverage I've seen out there. But first, in my experience, people want you to show that you look like them or share their beliefs before they'll listen to you. I agree that, quote, both sides of important issues use dog whistles that speed up the figuring out of whether your audience will consider what you have to say. While there's a general yes or no to the question of whether to move in any one direction, forcing a viewpoint into one of two sides makes it more dangerous to disagree with those they're grouped with and, as the Star Wars prequels pointed out, makes it easier for those with power to come out on top no matter what. I say all this to say I disagree with the idea that we should only make new characters explicitly queer. Without even meaning to, this idea, one, ignores the fact that with a few exceptions, I'm sure, characters had to be seen as straight, cis, white, and male to be written in an ideal light for decades. Two, silently complies with and reinforces the values that made that a reality. And three, further discredits the real experiences of people who, regardless of their behavior, were not cisgender or heterosexual while that was happening. I don't see my own experiences reflected in Alan's. I'm not made to hide my goyness, and I believe that calling that a sin just lets one of history's biggest power structures do your thinking for you. That would be unnatural. When I read Alan's story... I see genuine interactions rooted in the entirety of human experiences when it was more dangerous to have them. I remember that I'm not alone because we've always been here. I think about how his story intertwines with the complex realities of its time, and I'm excited to read more because it's been a long time coming. And do you know what? We wouldn't have to talk about it so much if it hadn't been made into a big deal in the first place. This is why I respectfully disagree with a lot of this book's coverage and hope that leads to more nuanced conversations as it continues to be told. As usual, good, good voicemail by Lance. Uh, we, we kind of, I said this to Lance and, you know, we were kind of kidding around. It's like, we, we knew we were getting a, we knew we were getting a voicemail by Lance on, on this subject at some point. It, kinda, it was just, it was just in a funny way. It's just kind of, the timing was perfect, but it was kind of surprising. We, I think I, I, at least I thought we would have gotten one. Ugh! We would have gotten one at the uh, after the first issue review. So some things that I mean, I tried to incorporate a little bit of those some of the things that he said subtly in earlier parts of this episode. But I do think one of the things that I thought was which was interesting is that the idea that you don't have to necessarily create a new character to that you can take an existing character and basically if you need if you wanted to like change change them or change their sexuality that it shouldn't be it's just maybe it shouldn't be it shouldn't be off uh, the table it shouldn't be taboo and that it could work and i I think there's actually truth in that but it has but number one i think it depends on the character i think it depends on especially if there's a natural gap like if there's a if a character is a relative blank slate on that front then it's easy and there's a if a character disappeared for a certain period of time you have no idea what they were up to that makes it easy it becomes a problem if it becomes, and if you have something to say about making the change. This is the problem we're having with Alan Scott. A lot of people is that it doesn't seem like you have anything to say other than we've made the change. We're going to remind you of the change. And that's all we really have to say is about this character now is that he's this way. But it doesn't, it doesn't seem to add layers to what already existed. So if you're taking an existing character and you're doing that, does it add more layers to that? 
and again, you have to pick the character carefully, which is why I sent you that that panel of those pages from that amazing Spider-Man annual, Chad, with uh, Captain Marvel, with but Monica Rambeau's first appearance in the Amazing Spider-Man annual, because Spider-Man Peter Parker is walking by her at the in the Port Authority, and his spider sense is going bat crazy, and he's and he's and he's scoping her out. He's like walking right next to her, but he's looking at her and he's really into her, and he's so into her. That he can't possibly imagine why his spider sense would be going off while she's a threat as a threat. So he literally contemplates for a moment, is my spider sense really going off? Paraphrasing because she's so hot. And he actually circles around to scope her out again because he's got time because I think Harry and Liz Osborne are coming in. But he's 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 early to pick them up or to meet them there. So if they try to do something with Peter Parker, it would never work because. There's so much evidence with thought balloons and thinking out loud with Peter Parker that we know that you could never say Peter Parker was gay all along because there's so much evidence that contradicts it. It would never work. You could never make people believe it because forget about his relationships with Gwen and Mary Jane, especially being so important to him. We have moments like that. and There's probably hundreds of things like that. of Peter Parker thinking and reacting to women that if he was gay, he wouldn't be doing that. So I think I think that's a very. I think it's an idea that I do agree that you that if you have the right, if it can add to the character and you pick the right character and it fits naturally, almost like, again, like a Jeff Con, I think it would work. But I don't think but I think you have to be careful. And I don't know if Alan Scott was the wise choice other than picking him because they figure there aren't that many diehard Alan Scott fans that are still alive anymore that or that would really care. I mean, you key in on one important detail, and that is that this is the first time in, what is it, 50-something years that since Alan has had a a solo book to himself. So it's not like we've had piles of opportunities to get inside his head, especially since he's either not appearing at all or appearing in a group setting, which is usually means the JSA, where there's dozens of people that have to share the spotlight. So like, like, yeah, for a character like Alan Scott, this sort of thing, I think, works a little better because we haven't been in his head and this is literally a secret he's been keeping, you know? Yeah, I can. I I see where you're going with that. I think I think to the very last thing and and, and I thanks again for the voicemail and everything, Lance. But the very last thing you said was very important. Uh, and very critical is that we wouldn't be talking this if, about this. If we wouldn't have been seeing this all along because they decided to make Alan, they being DC or Warner Brothers or whatever. It wasn't, parent, it wasn't, I, yeah. I don't think it was Warner Brothers. <laughs> whatever. Whatever corporate entity at whatever level decided to make this a big deal, decided it to make a, make it a big deal without pairing it with a story without pairing it with a series or mini series or whatever we were told alan's gay and we were shown that he's gay in the little very 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 minute bits we got to see of him between the moment they said it and this series so if they would have just given us a story and told everything i'm sure there'd been pushback i'm sure we may even had problems with it but if they paired it with a story where they were showing and rather than telling then it would have probably gone over better because it's so clear that it's a, at least in part, a bigger PR deal than it really should be to the company that did it. Because if you're a 
publisher, why make an announcement and a big deal out of this without pairing it with a story? Because all we've ever been told now for a couple of years is Alan's gay. And here's this moment you see him. We're going to touch back on that again. And we're not going to see him for another several months. Oh, and then here you're seeing him again. Remember, we told you he's gay. And then it took this long to get a story focused on it. And now we're all worried about the agenda because that's all they've given us is their their intent as opposed to the the reality behind what they believe the I don't know how to phrase that but Dan yeah. can probably save me from that. <laughs> yeah, I mean it is largely a timing problem. Like if this miniseries came in the same year as as Alan coming out, then I think we would be having a different discussion about this because I know Mark has has said over the over the last I think two years or so you know why are why are they just reminding us that he's gay and not using it for anything it makes it look cheap like it makes yep. it look like there was nothing behind it and it kind of was because like uh, they they had him come out and then he only ever appeared in short anthologies that only had enough room to remind us of that status quo existing and do nothing with it until the next anthology where they repeated it and this book is exactly what the character and the retcon needed years ago. I'm glad to have it now, and I do like it, but there's no good reason why it had to take literal years to get here. And speaking more directly to what Lance said about creating new characters, <laughs> I mean, it's probably clear by now that I've completely accepted this change to Alan's character with no strings or caveats to qualify it. And a big part of that is the reason this really does happen in real life. People you've known forever will suddenly one day come out of the closet. And yeah, it's often older people because they had to live their way up to a time when society was more accepting of this sort of thing. That's why to me, it honestly doesn't matter if this is all a retcon or not, because the results are the same. And not for nothing, but whenever a brand new gay character is introduced, People always complain that they only exist to push an agenda. More often than not, the issue isn't how a gay character is introduced or presented. It's the fact that there's a gay character at all. They're damned if they do, damned if they don't. So they may as well just do what they think is right, no matter what it is. And and I would agree with you, it's, except they made the agenda a a big deal at the beginning of this is, is the whole thing. And that's, and that just kind of circles back to what I was saying earlier. It's just like, you don't, especially, and again, I keep circling back to this point. You don't, especially a comic book publisher, you don't make it a point to announce something or say something is going to be happening without pairing it with a story. Supergirl, for instance, Gave us a version of Dream Girl, albeit it's a, it's it's a predecessor. It's not the Dream Girl of the Legion uh, because of timelines and everything. But Supergirl, this TV show, told us in advance, hey, Dreamer is going to be trans. Right. But guess what? We had a character. We had somebody cast. We had a story that they were telling. We got to see it in action almost immediately after being told it was going to happen. They had a plan for it. That didn't happen with Alan, and it's weighing in everybody's mind. So because they so clearly 
made it a part of, or at least at least appeared as nothing more than agenda. It's so hard to swallow for some people later on down the road, I think is the issue. Again, if you would have done this and if you would have just said this was happening and given us a story where it was happening as opposed to a couple of pages here and there sporadically spread out through anthologies or background scenes in comics here and there for the past couple of years, it would, I would have hoped, gone over so much better. And unfortunately, none of this is, and I say unfortunately because they're experiencing some of this, none of this is Tim Sheridan or C.N. Tormey's fault. They inherited this and got assigned this and said, okay, we're going to be telling the story and it was approved and moving forward and great, but it's not their fault that DC dragged ass on this. Well, the first, I I agree, I and I've said this before, and I, I mean even tonight that I do. I think ultimately the approach hurt, is is hurting the message no matter what, and I think it, it's unfortunate because I think and even even the idea of having this having people who don't normally see themselves represented be able to hey look at look at this major character that's even if it's like Lance said like he doesn't see all his experiences with Alan or it's a but of course it's a different era and different time period too. But the point is. Not everybody would have to see everything. That's it's if you see something of yourself that you're not used to seeing represented, it's like, hey, that's kind of cool. That gets blocked too because of how how they're approaching it. Now, I'm not going to give Sheridan and company a pass because they chose to write this story this way. Unless DC came to them and said, "We want you to write this story this way," then they get a pass. If this was Tim, if, if this was Sheridan's idea. Just like we talked in the first episode, you guys both seem to be on the same page about this. I think Dan is the one who mentioned it. It's like, well, well, what did we expect we were going to get in issue one of this series? Because they already told us in the Gay Pride short that this is going to be a love story. But they made that choice. So it's like it's it's like it's like that. It's like that tiny promise or fulfilling that promise starting with the new. It's a self-serving promise that nobody else asked you to make that you made to people who wanted who wanted to follow through on it anyway. It doesn't really mean that much. So if you choose, you made the decision to tell that story from the beginning that way. So that is a decision. So, yes, you are correct that there's extra baggage that they're dealing with that it, that they wouldn't have had to deal with if it wasn't back. When we go back to the Infinite Frontier stuff, it's like, oh, Alan's gay. He's gay everywhere. And he can't be straight, which was another big problem as far as getting this accepted and people to move on as opposed to this was just one universes. But even if it was the main universes, the fact was that now that was a complete change to what we had even in the new 52. But the fact that you're like you guys said, they didn't do anything with it for years. So maybe it would have made something like this less, less problematic, but because they're approaching the story this way. And in the first two issues, it's been very little superhero stuff. And even as uh, Chad pointed out, even the whole JSA thing, the, the, the idea that Alan has to be blackmailed in the beginning to go work with the JSA. Those are all changes that seem to be contrary to what we know and what we would expect from the character before, too. So there isn't a whole lot of who we know Alan Scott or who we have seen Alan Scott to be in the past. There's not a lot there we can grab onto and say, oh, yeah, that's him. So none of it it all com- combines together to make it a, a hard sell. It bears repeating that 
the whole point of all of these new Golden Age books is to explore what's been retconned into these characters' histories. So, like, if you if you're going to go read the Jay Garrick Flash miniseries that's being published at the same time as this, and you really don't care to learn about his his newly retconned daughter Judy Garrick and and what her history and relationship with her dad is like. I got bad news for you. That's what that book exists to explore. Just like how the current JSA book is is primarily revolving around, okay, all of these all of these uh formerly unknown golden age sidekicks were ripped out of time and and deposited in the present. Nobody's seen them before. Nobody knows them and they're the same age they were in the 40s and 50s. How do they acclimate to the world? Where do they live? Are they part of the team now? What do we do with them? Like, and whatever Sandman is about, because I forget, I haven't read that book yet. <laughs> but like this whole, this is, this is a whole po- initiative that is focused on, this is a whole initiative that's focused on exploring a new layer that's been retconned into the golden age, both it's, in the past and during the actual 1940s and 50s and the present day status quo of the same characters. So like this was like, I can understand going into the first issue of a new Alan Scott Green Lantern book, not knowing any of this and seeing like, Oh, it's going to be a love story. I get it. And that not being your thing. But like, now that you know what that is, you, you can't expect it to not be that. Right, but it's still, but the point is, it's still a conscious choice. Just like the whole idea of, which a lot of people are not fans of across the board, this whole retconning stuff and making new characters that are golden age, which we all know really are not golden age characters. That this whole idea of messing around and, hey, we're going to, now this is golden age when it wasn't, or it was before and now it is, it was before, then it wasn't, then it, I, your point is, is absolutely correct. But again, it's still a conscious choice to do that. It's not like anybody put a gun to their head and said, you have to do this. So all I guess my point of view is you don't get a pass. If it's not working or people don't like it or people have problems with it, you don't get a pass for that because, well, they should have known it was coming. Well, you did. It was a, you made the, you made the choice to go down that road, regardless of whether you cared people were going to like it or not. So I get what you're saying. But you also don't, to me, you don't get a pass. People don't get a pass on that, too, because arguably you made an initial decision, whether and it turned out to maybe not be the best. And then you just double down on it or you just don't want to acknowledge that it was a mistake or even even if none of that. You just if you made the initial decision. It's your bed. You got to lie in it. And I, so if people don't like it, it's still because of that that decision, Chad. That's, I mean, that's all I got. I, 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 at this, at this point, and I said it in, in, in the previous episodes, it's just like, kind of along the lines of what Dan just said. It's like, it's, we know it's a romance story and intended to be a romance story. Okay. I've made my, my concessions in terms of, uh, drawing a line in the sand of timeline. Dan hasn't, but that's fine. Uh, you choose to read this how you want. I have put this in a box. And I understand what the intent is moving forward, and it's going to lessen my my reactions to some of this to some extent because you know it, it, the story they're telling is the story they're telling, and 
uh, me trying to make it something else or whatever isn't going to help my uh, my understanding or enjoyment of what's trying to be told to me. Um, so I'm just going to take it on face value with the understanding that I have in terms of timeline and just try and accept it for what it is. Like, for instance, the bill, the whole Billy thing I said from the beginning, if if and it's a big if because. There's not a whole lot on page necessarily to tie it to this. But if for some reason Alan's battery is responsible for what happens to Billy, I have a problem with that. But beyond that, the other things in terms of tying uh, the battery to his sexuality and so on and so forth. Yes, I can see being upset with that. In, in what in, in in any capacity if that's if that's what if, if that's how you feel but me personally because I've accepted it as it's not an action story it's a romance story and that this is a different Alan some of the things that would normally make me angry and cause me to talk for a long amount of time about this are just going to be naturally lessened I still think artistically this is a really strong story and I think I think um in some cases, and and especially now, again, we're only two issues in. I I personally really liked a lot of the interactions between him and Billy, especially given that if we're going to keep ripping the romance, you know, it's a romance story, but we keep r- ripping his romantic partners away from him. That notwithstanding, um, if he's not going to have those relationships for a long amount of p- time on panel, it's nice to see him have a friendship and an understanding with a non-romantic, non-sexual partner so that we can get some of Alan's own thoughts on the page. So we can get some even because he even has a disagreement with Billings in this in this story. So, you know, it's nice to see, you know, some some struggle, some uh, back and forth between people who just maybe don't just maybe don't agree with each other, but have a lot in common. It's something that we would see. If we spent a significant amount of time with him in a relationship partner, but because we can't do that either by, you know, we got to keep him in a closet for a certain amount of time. So we have to kill them or take away his romantic partners in other ways. It's nice to get this. So that's how I can accept a lot of this stuff uh, that maybe I would push back on instinctively is by accepting what the, the type of story that they intend to tell me. And accepting that this isn't the same Alan for me and just going, okay, those are my parameters. I'm reading this book. What do I like? What do I don't like with those parameters in check? I understand that. I think my my closing thoughts on all this is going to be the fact that comic book fans have been railing against change for longer than any of us have been alive except maybe Mark, he's kind of old. But um, <laughs> this is another one of those those cases where I think a lot of the sting and a lot of the, the controversy is going to go away in time, especially if DC sticks to their guns like it seems like they're going to with with this retcon, you know? it's This is such a stupid example, but I always, I remember when Kyle Rayner was first introduced, so many people were complaining had complaints like, oh, why do we need this new guy when we already have have Hal, John, and Guy? You, all three Earth Lanterns is all you need. Flash forward to today, whenever a new Earth Lantern gets introduced, whenever it's like Joe or Simon or whoever, it's, oh, why do you need this new person? We already have Hal, John, Guy, and Kyle. 
four earth lanterns is really all you need four legs and a table and all that horse shit like all it takes is time people will rail against anything if it's if different enough or even slightly different from what they're used to and what they've decided they like and prefer but give the give the audience enough time to adjust to it and enough time for new members to trickle in and the thing that was controversial and so so argumentative for so long it's just normal at that point it just it's just an accepted part of the lore and most people you ask wouldn't even be able to conceive of a time before and i'm not saying that everybody who is who doesn't like this is going to suddenly be okay with it one day down the road. But I think the fact that it is still as Chad is right, because of DC's mismanagement of the issue, we're still somehow in the early stages of establishing this change. And I, I think a lot of the outrage around this and a lot of the controversy around this comes from the fact that it's still early, whether it should still be early or not. It, it shouldn't be. But no, just all that to say, like, I, I'm, I've been pretty happy with this book so far. The art is, is just as good as you guys have, have called out. And I don't personally have many of most of the problems with the writing as you guys do. And I am kind of in awe that it's only been two issues because it feels like so much has happened. And I kind of love the fact that there's still four more to come. I will say I'm looking forward to the next issue because it's supposed to, uh, it says like the spirit in the flesh in the end at the end there. But for anybody who doesn't know, if you haven't seen the cover art for the next issue, Spectre is showing up. So which I'm makes, excited for that. Which makes sense because I noticed the spirit looked like it was written in Spectre font. At oh, the yeah, end of that's the, cool. Yeah, yeah. I almost was going to say that because I said, hey, that looks like it's spec- looks like it's written in the Spectre font. Well, let's put it this way. If we're tonally, if we're going to get any kind of change at least temporarily it's got to be issue three because if we don't have if we don't have action of consequence in issue three then i don't know and i think i think dan you were correct that i think it will it will die down but i think it will die down more because kind of like where we are at we kind of get well just people will just get sick of of bringing it up and they're going to be exhausted to talk about it and bang bang their heads against the wall it doesn't mean it doesn't mean all of a sudden, hey, people are going to start buying the Alan Scott book in droves and things like that. It just means people are just going to I've already they may concede defeat in the sense there's no point talking about it anymore. But it doesn't mean they'll necessarily support it. But your general assessment of way, the way people are is 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 accurate. Yeah. So, uh, out, outrage has a, uh, a uh, short term memory, short shelf life, too. That's it. Right. I hope. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I think that's it. But um, speaking of next issue, though, how are we going to cover? Oh, these yes. OK, so th- that all being said, which is which is I, well, I guess no, I guess makes sense of both of us for, for slightly, slightly different reasons, but are like a fork in the road. Really, we come to the same point and then slightly diverge. The way we're planning on approaching this book from now on is but there's there's six issues in this book, four issues left. Chad and I are definitely leaning towards we want to do these in two issue blocks. We want to do issues three and four and then do issues five and six. Could we be swayed if issue three is utterly fantastic? Yeah, we could be swayed to do that. But just generally speaking, because, again, a lot of we feel 
that a lot of the things that we're talking about are redundant. And not just because we're worried about us going through the same motion, but also how it might play to the audience. That at least if we narrow down the number of reviews we have to do, even if we are end up saying but a, a bunch of the same things, we're only saying it twice more as opposed to saying it four times more. So that is the game plan right now that we're that the, we're not planning on doing issue three on its own. We're going to do issue three and four together, which who knows, depending on how the story plays out, might actually sync and be and, and work well together. So it also it also gives us back some some recording spots, guys. Yes, that's true, uh, especially too. especially in a time of year where we're busy with holidays and going into the new year and getting situated with all of that stuff. It's, you know, it's you know, it's look, is it great to have three lantern titles out? Regardless of if you'd like one or not or any of them or whatever, yes, it's great to have three lantern titles out. But when we record once a week, our ability to do like the other episodes that yep. keep us sane in between um, is it gives us one a month. Severe. Yeah, it gives us it, it gives us one a month, and sometimes if we're if we get behind for any reason or have a movie episode or something we want to do, uh, it limits us even further. So. Yeah, we we freed up a couple of spots and and it and it and it maintains our sanity in a couple of different ways. <laughs> yeah, literally all of my end of the year plans have completely fallen apart. And it feels weird saying that cuz like damn it, if only we didn't have three good lantern books coming out at the same time. <laughs> and and speaking of your plans, what plans do you have for and and what was the name of your channel? Well, you know, if if people really don't want to wait and they want issue by issue <laughs> monthly coverage of Alan Scott, the Green Lantern numbers three through six, uh, they can go on over to Mosaic Comics on YouTube, where I I I I mean, mostly cover new issues of current ongoing Lantern books right now. But <laughs> at some point, I'm going to allow myself to fall a little bit behind just so I can do some of the larger projects that. I have been dying to get around to. Um, but, you know, in the meantime, the Lantern cast just celebrated 15 years. So even before you go and check out my channel, I would highly encourage everybody listening to just go into the back catalog and listen to one of your old favorites. You know, I still love it's it's relatively recent but i still love episode 503 the parallax retrospective like it was one of the most seamless and fun podcasting experiences i've had in recent memory cha-ching baby (laughs) and if you and i mean it let's let's not let's not deny that it was coincidentally chadless um (laughs) but no yeah it's just take take a couple hours out of your day. Listen to an, a Lantern Cast episode that you haven't heard in a while, but you have fond memories for, or a new one that you just never got around to, and just kind of celebrate the fact that it's been 15 years of this, and there is there's more than enough good. good <laughs> just stop Lantern there. There's, there's the more topic. than enough. There's more than enough. <laughs> we'll stop soon. Quit stroking Mark's ego. Uh, I, I could have just left off the ego. I know. I was like, well, <laughs> if we start leaving off words, this would be a real dangerous episode. <laughs> uh, well, Dan, you segued into something perfectly because by the time this comes out, this should be actually should be, uh, despite Chad and I and our, our original plans for doing a special episode, that this will probably actually be the 10th anniversary of Chad and I's, our, our first solo, epi- flying solo episode. 
Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Can 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 you believe that, Dan? No. <laughs> Y'all, you and Jim only did it for for five years, and Mark and I have been doing it for ten. <laughs> Episode one seventy. That's, that's that's crazy to me. Thinking ten years, man. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, it is crazy. Dan, here's your here's a su- suggestion when you do uh, Alan Scott issue three. Bring on Jim. <laughs> Why would I do that? Well, because it's I, a Jim wanna... Ford. It's a Jim Ford production. Number one. Oh God! I don't want to lose subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure uh, he would have a few things to say. Who is this jabroni? That's <laughs> God. Uh, speaking of jabronis. Uh... Lanterncast at gmail.com. Lanterncast.com. You can follow us on Twitter, X, whatever. Like everything's changing its name or going out of existence. So soon this soon we're just gonna have like uh like that the 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 testing tone for the emergency broadcast system. Mm. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, hashtag geocast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, not Stitcher, Podbean, just for you. Last but not least, if you'd like to Leave us a voicemail, send us a text, 708 Lantern, and let us know what you think. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night.